0: Welcome to Rose Tinted, a podcast where we challenge the limits of our nostalgia by re examining some of our favourite childhood movies. I'm Ollie Chip. And I'm Paddy HK. And today we will be discussing Free Willy.
1: Okay, shall we just get into this, Ollie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Okay, well, before we do, I'm just going to give a little bit of background info to the uninitiated about this podcast. So, Ollie and I are old friends who made a list of our favourite childhood movies so we could revisit them one by one to see if they still hold up to scrutiny. Some loose rules for our selection process, the movies have to bear some kind of significance to our childhood or early adolescence, and we try to only select movies that we have not watched since that time. So, with that out of the way, Ollie, why don't you tell us a little bit about Free Willy?
0: Free Willy was released in 1993 Three, mm-hmm. Which I was surprised at. I thought it was a lot later than that. Oh, really? I thought it was earlier. Really? Yeah. Because, obviously, I would have been two years old when this was released, and I just thought it was later than that. Yeah. Um, it cost $20 million to make, which I thought was quite a modest budget, considering the amount of animatronics and stunts and things that are in the film. Mm-hmm. And it made nearly $154 million. Yeah. Interestingly as well, it's, it managed to sell 9 million VHS tapes. Oh, wow really. Which is an interesting statistic. I think, yeah, this is a film that definitely had a VHS in my house that was just, like, worn to nothing.
1: Yeah, I think I read somewhere that it was, like, a bit of a sleeper hit, so I imagine this is one that will have dominated the VHS market yeah. and became a family favourite in various homes, rather than necessarily being a box office smash. Yeah. Even though it did seem to do pretty well by all standards. It's
0: difficult for it not to do well, I think, with the overly sentimental family narrative and a big, giant fucking whale. Is- it's protagonist, like it's a
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a winning formula you know little kids and animals yeah will definitely get butts in seats exactly although it's interesting that this movie was such a success because for I was doing some reading about this franchise because it's a franchise there's a couple of movies in the in the free willy canon and the second movie cost 31 million to make and made 30 million at the <laughs> box office so it lost a mill <laughs> so yeah quite a significant drop in success from the first movie to the second. What was the time between those two films? I think it was like two years. I think Free Willy 2 might have been 1995. Okay. Because I'm going to say it might
0: like might have something to do with the, with the sentiment towards orcas in captivity may have had some hand in why those films started to bomb after the first one, potentially.
1: Oh yeah, I have a lot to say about that, to be fair, in terms of how I experienced this movie. Mm. I think there is a lot to unpack there, mm. but we will definitely get to that. But um, yeah, what else can you tell me about this movie?
0: Uh, It's directed by an individual called Simon Winsor, looking through his filmography. The only one that I've mildly heard of is Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. He directed that. (laughs) Uh, The other ones I have never heard of, actually. I'm just looking down the list again now. He's done a lot of TV, but yeah, other than that, not very much. And it's not exactly a directorial masterclass, this, is it? No. Interesting casting choice to have Michael Madsen in there, though. (laughs) That was that is one of the key talking points that I've got on my list. It's post-Reservoir Dogs this film as well. Because I was like, okay, if this is before Reservoir Dogs, I could sort of see Tarantino being like Oh, he's got this sort of smoky, smouldering anger (laughs) (laughs) lurking behind the surface in this kid's movie. I could definitely use him as a serial killer psychopath criminal in my film. But it's actually after it, so he's gone from Mr. Blonde in Reservoir
1: Dogs to Glenn in Free Willy. Yeah, possibly one of the most egregious miscastings we've ever (laughs) come across on this podcast. So strange. And again, that's something we'll delve into a little bit later on, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, other than him, I mean, he was what, probably the biggest name in the entire cast right i didn't recognize any other names like i'm happy to be corrected i've been corrected
0: on a number of occasions about not recognizing very important very famous actors Um, (laughs) but yeah that's the only face that i recognized yeah jason james richter who plays jesse the little kid i think it's been this and that's about it for him unfortunately but yeah that's it for the sort of info do you want my two summaries for free Willy? yeah please Jesse, a child in care, is angry at the world. That's until he meets a new friend, Willie, a giant killer whale. The two share a close bond, and when it becomes clear to Jesse that the evil sea park owners plan to kill Willie for an insurance payout, it's a race against time for Jesse and his friends to save Willie and release him into the wild where he belongs. Very good. Yeah, very neat little summary there. And then my one-line or one-sentence summary, health and safety regulations flaunted in a tidal wave of sentimental garbage.
1: (laughs) Okay, very good. Harsh, harsh, but fair. (laughs) Harsh, but fair. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: So there's the summaries. Why did this movie make the list for you? Well, it's a funny one, this, because I definitely saw this as a child. Mm -hmm. I think it was kind of impossible not to be aware of this film and not to watch it. Mm. I highly doubt that I did not watch this movie as a kid. But the reason I'm saying it like that is because I went into this movie with basically zero memories. Of it. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. absolutely same. no memory of it. In fact, I would say my memories of this movie were more cultural than anything. So it's a cultural touchstone, is this movie. And I think that's why it's important that we're covering it. I'm very familiar with the scene where Willie leaps over Jesse's head at the end. Yeah. I mean, that's been referenced in countless other films and mm-hmm. TV. TV shows, it's been memed to death at this point since the birth of internet culture. I mean, you and I have shared gifts of that moment in just common parlance with each other in our yeah. WhatsApp conversations related to things that have nothing to do with this film. No, nothing whatsoever. And uh, yeah, so, but it's funny because, like, even though it's this massive cultural juggernaut, and when people talk about childhood movies of the 1990s, Free Willy is one that always comes up and that everyone has invariably seen. But I genuinely had no memory of it apart from that scene. So I was going in completely cold which I think makes it a really interesting choice for this podcast because it meant I had zero nostalgia for it. I could be as objective as possible with this movie.
0: Yeah I was exactly the same. I mean I did remember fleetingly the whale being in the back of a truck Mm. but yeah the main memory obviously is the uh, cover art for the VHS, the whale jumping over the, the sea barrier. But yeah I mean it's the same with me really like it has to be on the list because it's such an important just that moment and to be fair the whole mm. way through the movie I was just like I am this close to uh just fast forwarding it to that moment because I was just waiting <laughs> for it to happen because I was like I can't actually remember how they stage it. Yeah. Like I couldn't remember what it looked like. There's obviously the the image from the gifs that are rife on the internet. I was familiar with that but like I knew that it had to be some form of build up to that and I wanted to know how it was constructed. So I was like desperate to see that. Um, but other than that yeah nothing sprung to mind and it sort of started trickling back into my memory when I was watching it like I remembered little nuanced little bits like the parcels of fish and things and the fact that he was always cycling around and whatever but yeah like similar to you I knew I watched this a lot when I was a kid but could not remember hardly a thing about it so it's pretty much a perfect movie to look at at this point
1: yeah I think in terms of generally how we select movies for this podcast I think there are two kinds that really work well for this format either movies that we have- have a really strong sense of nostalgia for and therefore there's a lot there that can be challenged and unpacked and deconstructed and there's a lot of surprises there or the movies that we have zero memory of because then we're completely divorced from that personal experience yeah exactly but yeah so i guess with that out of the way should we just discuss some of the things we enjoyed about this movie yes let's do it
0: Before we get into the stuff that we liked about the film, can we just establish something right off the bat? Mm-hmm. Can we not make any dick jokes in this
1: episode? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're not going to make a single dick joke in this episode. As far as we know, the word willy simply refers to a slightly disgruntled orca. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. One, it's too easy. And two, it will descend into chaos really,
1: really quickly. And also, we're just way more mature than that. Yeah, exactly. This is a mature podcast for distinguished millennials um, <laughs> who have great taste and the ability to critique words that they formerly loved. Yeah. And like we've said previously, like, you know, fart jokes are
0: perfectly acceptable and very funny, but dick mm. jokes are just, they're just not funny, are they? So we're not going to make any. Yeah.
1: Well, in terms of what I enjoyed about this movie, it's a bit of a strange one, this movie, because it didn't make me feel (laughs) a lot either way, to be honest with you. There's a lot of films, you know, where we'll watch them and I'll be like really enamored with them or I'll hate them like viscerally and we'll have a lot to talk about either way. But this one, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. And so I don't really have these huge detailed lists of things that I want to talk about, but I will give it a good go. Mm. So in terms of my good stuff list, I thought the use of animatronics was really effective. The animatronic orcas were blended pretty much seamlessly with the footage of real life orcas. Yeah, I was squinting a lot
0: to see whether it was a real one or a fake one. Yeah. I think the the special effects coordinator, I'm not sure of the name of the guy, but I read on the wiki for the film that he reckoned that about half of the shots of the orca in this film are the animatronic one.
1: Yeah, and it was really convincing. And I think that the animatronic tends to be used when there's like a close up of Willy's had...
0: (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, come on, dude.
1: That's like two minutes. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Do you want to get some jokes out of the way or are we going to just try and avoid them? No, no, no. It's just because I said Willie's head. It just it just, it just broke me. Okay. No, no, no. Shake it off. Come on. We're 30. Come on. Shake it off. Right. Uh, no, but um, yeah, according uh, to the wiki, whenever there was a close-up of the whale's head... There we go. That's good. There we go. That's good. Yeah, That's good. Yeah. The whale's head. The yeah, whale's yeah. head. That tended to be animatronics and uh, when it, you saw the whale swimming underwater in enclosures, that tended to be the real whale Mm. if you saw it swimming in open water that was animatronics for reasons that I'll go into a little bit later but yeah I mean it was blended together really seamlessly it was excellent use of animatronics and also to add to that there's only one moment of CGI in this movie apparently and it is actually that final iconic shot they use CGI and again it's very not noticeable it doesn't stand out at all so I'd say that's probably the movie's greatest strength is how it balances the real animals the animatronics and the CGI.
0: Yeah I mean it's a fucking challenge to film an animal underwater mm-hmm. trying to get an animal to emote when it's under underwater mm. is very difficult and you're filming it from outside of the water looking in it's quite a challenge Yeah, I don't really agree with you in terms of the CGI and the ending. I think the bit when the whale flies over his head in close up that's really effective Yeah, um, but the build up with the jump the CGI jump and then the cut to the CGI splash to the other side. It was a little bit ropey but I'll allow it I I suppose yeah. considering
1: how well they did with the uh with the robot at other points yeah definitely i would say in terms of just going back to the animatronics again what made it so hard to tell whether it was real or fake was the attention to detail yeah and one part that stood out to me in particular was the whale's tongue so the way the whale's tongue yeah. was controlled and animated it was so convincing like it moved mm. like a real tongue and it had a lot of flexibility and a lot of range of movement and it left me Wondering how did they do that? Like, how did they make this tongue feel so lifelike? And just little things like that, I thought were done really, really effectively. So I've got to give the movie credit for that. I also think like it's a little bit of a blessing
0: when you're making. I imagine the animatronics, Mm. like the texture of a killer whale, is very. It almost looks artificial, even though it's an animal. Do you know what I mean? It looks like it's made out of rubber, which I expect the animatronics were. Mm. So I guess it's quite forgiving in that way. If it was like covered in fur, it would be a different matter, wouldn't it? But the fact that it's like rubber to begin with
1: mm. it's quite a, a pass yeah definitely and it's just like black you know yeah yeah it's like matte black (laughs) so it's just like (laughs) probably quite easy to imitate yeah yeah another thing i had on my list i mean i didn't have like i said a lot of big points but another thing i had on my list was i really like the set design in this movie so whenever they're in an interior space in an interior room every room has a lot of character so you've got like randolph's room so randolph is like the native american who works in the um animal park who helps Jesse he's sort of like a he's like a mentor figure for Jesse I suppose and his room was full of these little whale trinkets and animal models and glasses of various shapes and sizes and model ships and it's like this little neat little cabin like a little wooden cabin and I just thought they did a lot with that space to sort of reflect his character mm-hmm. by contrast there's Jesse's room so Jesse gets fostered by this family and his room it's like it looks like a penthouse hotel room and I thought that was like an interesting contrast like Randolph's room looks really lit lived in and has loads of little clues to his personality dotted around and Jesse's room looks like this hotel which reflects how he feels about his situation everything's temporary he doesn't really belong anywhere Mm. so I thought Mm. there was just some nice little things with the set design a lot of the spaces looked lived in and used and believable and that's you know a very minor thing but I just thought it was worth mentioning Mm -hmm. um what about you what did you have on your list um
0: I particularly like the I don't say I particularly like, I'm giving it a little bit too much credit. I was a bit like you, I sort of, it was a bit like a two hour malaise where I was just sort of watching it, waiting for the ending. Yeah. I didn't like or love any particular moments, but something that I thought was interesting at the very least with the the subtexts related to Jesse and actually to Glenn, Michael Madsen's character. Mm. The reason that Jesse became attached to the whale is that they were both experiencing a similar turmoil right so willie has been separated from his family and is ups- like sad that he can't get back to them and Jesse again is trying to find a family and trying to find somewhere safe to sort of live mm. I liked the link that they were making between those two characters mm-hmm. but I thought the more subtle one and actually potentially the more interesting one was Glenn's mm-hmm. sort of subtext in that you know the first time we meet him as a character he's like meticulously washing his truck and it's like this shiny spanking new all. In all-dancing truck. Mm. And you can see he's put lots of care and attention into, into preserving it. A little bit later on in the film, I think there's a conversation between Glenn and Jesse where Glenn says to Jesse that he spent a year and a half doing up a car and he's got a photograph of it and everything. Mm. But he said he had to sell it because he could only have one love in his life. Mm. It's sort of alluded to that he got rid of the car because he found found his wife, so it's like, he says he can only love one thing, so he's got rid of the car and now he's focusing on his wife. And then le- right at the end of the film, where Glenn reverses his truck into the water mm. to release the whale back into the wilds, um, he opens the door to his truck while he's in the water and all this, all the water floods into the cab yeah. of the truck and he sort of looks down at it and he sort of, he gives
1: this sort of, I don't know. It's like a look of resignation, right?
0: Yeah, but but it's not, it's not a negative look. He just sort of allows it to happen. He's like, oh, okay, this is happening now. Mm. To me, that was, him giving up his meticulous truck for now the love that he has for Jesse like he's doing Mm. this for his new fostered son yeah and i quite liked that little loop that was filled there that was really i thought that was really interesting it was a really really really
1: small moment but like i think it was deliberate i'll tell you what man i think that's a lovely and astute observation and it completely tracks thinking back on my viewing of the movie everything you've said completely tracks um and i think the reason i didn't notice it was that (laughs) michael madsen's performance throughout this movie is so lackluster i noticed that he was looking at his car flooding i noticed that he acknowledges it yeah but he does it in in such a passive way. I actually made a note of that moment for a different reason. It's like he reacts to everything in this movie in exactly the same way. yeah. Whether or not it's his car being stolen, his kid going missing, his car being flooded, rescuing a whale, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, yeah. he has yeah. the same emotional reaction to everything. But that's um, a really, really great observation. and I think that's really true. There's some interesting thematic parallels that are being paid off at the end of the movie there. So yeah, nice one. We've gone full film studies for months. We've actually made use. (laughs) I know, (laughs) I know, madness. And
0: people said it's a useless degree. (laughs) We have a podcast now. (laughs) (laughs) That grand total of fifty people listened to. Yeah, fuck you guys. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that that was. I liked that. I particularly like the character of, I'm sorry, my dog is doing my fucking head in. He's farting horrendously, (laughs) and he's walking around my legs in circles, knocking his tail into my glass cabinet. I've Mm. got to kick him out. Sorry. Hold on.
1: (laughs) Okay, cool. I just want to pick up on one thing that you said there About Jesse and Willie's relationship Because that's another thing that I've got on my list of things That I enjoyed I did really like the connection Between Jesse and the whale He feels generally disconnected from the world So does the whale And it actually reminded me a bit of Kes In that way, do you remember that uh, Ken Loach movie Kes? It's the same sort of Similar sort of theme, an impoverished kid Who feels disconnected from the world And like he doesn't have a whole lot to live for Finds his purpose and the love that he is missing through his relationship with this animal. And I'd actually say that Kes is maybe a much more grounded and much neater exploration of those kind of themes, Mm. but this is obviously more family-friendly and arguably more fun and entertaining. So, yeah, that was just another... I just wanted to give that a little nod. Like, even though it's a very sentimental movie, there's a lot I didn't enjoy about it, I did like the central relationship between uh, Jesse and the whale definitely. Yeah, me
0: too. And I think, like, it's a gold mine for sentimentality when you have a relationship developing between, like, a disenfranchised mm. child and a beautiful animal. Like, yeah. it's easy pickings, isn't it, in that regard? Yeah. On that, I really, I really did like the stock footage of the mm. whales in the wild. Like, I could watch videos of those animals all day although they terrify me to absolute death like <laughs> yeah. when he's in the pool with that with the animal even though I know it's an animatronic whale I'm just like fuck that dude like there is yeah. no way I'm going anywhere near that thing yeah they are horrifying animals of the abyss in that regard for me but like they are majestic and beautiful to look at and the uh, the stock footage of them that they use in this film is, is really really lovely
1: yeah for sure and I think I just want to pick up on what you said there about the orcas being like terror Terrifying monster creatures, which they are I agree with you and I empathise with that and I think That actually leads to some Pretty effective moments of tension in the movie So I actually, one of the times That I felt the most tense in the movie Is when Jesse Is reaching out to touch Willie's nose for the first time, like he's Just reaching out and it's this really tense moment and they Really draw it out for quite a while Like he's really crossing a Boundary here, Uh, he's just started to get To know this whale and he wants to Pet him for the first time and they really build up that moment and even though i know this whale isn't going to attack him even th- it's a you know it's a universal movie it's a u certificate i know nothing bad is going to happen but i think they established the magnitude of these creatures quite effectively yeah the power yeah the power of these creatures I felt quite tense in that moment as he was reaching out and I was like what if this whale bites his fucking hand off like you know what I mean (laughs) um (laughs) but which obviously didn't happen but like I think the fact that I felt that tension I absorbed that tension meant it was effectively constructed essentially yeah I think like the animal
0: is given respect by the characters that we're meant to align ourselves with which I think is important yes I also quite liked I mean this film has no right being two hours long like Mm -hmm. no right whatsoever but i did quite like the fact that it took its time at the start to just establish jesse as a character yeah like we learned quite a lot about him it's quite an interesting character isn't it because he's like a foster kid like he bangs on about his mum all the way through the film and she's clearly awful yeah and all of the all of the adults in his life are telling him that that she's awful and just his plight is really nicely set up i think I wasn't desperate to meet the whale. Mm. A lot of movies like this, you just want to like, okay, get the human stuff out of the way so we can focus on the whale. But they take a good like 25 minutes, 20 minutes of the of
1: the opening really to establish Jesse. And I liked that. I thought that was cool. Yeah, if anything, I thought, um, and I'll go into this in more detail a bit later, but I wanted to see more exploration of Jesse and Glenn's relationship. Yeah. So at the beginning... They set it up really nicely and there was a lot of potential to that relationship which could have been explored a little bit more in my opinion. I really enjoyed the interaction between them where because obviously Jesse's very guarded he has trust issues because his mum's abandoned him and you know he's in the foster care system and you know he's running around on the streets eating stolen wedding cake that his friend <laughs> puts ketchup on for some reason I don't fucking know. But basically <laughs> but you know he's got a rough life so he's got trust issues he, he doesn't like to be vulnerable and let people in and i feel like glenn is kind of the same way he's a very taciturn man he's not very good at emoting and not very good at connecting with jesse and they had this lovely little moment where they're stood in the back garden and they're sort of getting to know each other and glenn allows jesse to give him some rules mm. in exchange for his own which i thought really was such an interesting parenting moment it really respected jesse's autonomy he basically says to jesse look you're the expert what rules do you want to give me And Jesse's like, I want you to give me some pocket money every week. And Glenn's like, okay, cool. Here's $5. Now, can I give you some rules? And it was just this really interesting way of establishing the boundaries between those two characters and building their relationship. And it's a real shame it didn't get explored further in the movie, because I think that I think Glenn's character was a bit of a waste, to be honest with you. And I'll go into that in a little bit more detail in the bad stuff section. Yeah. But it started off really strong. And I think that was in large part due to the movie, as you say, taking so much time to establish these characters before introducing the titular whale. But yeah, I think that was just about every good thing on my list. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? There was one
0: one little moment that got a snigger out of me,
1: uh, and that was at the end when they
0: are driving the whale back to the ocean and they pull into a um, into a car wash to hose him down again. Mm. I don't know if that's like scientifically sound, by the way. Can you just like hose a whale down like a garden plant and get him to the ocean? Does it work like that?
1: Well, they're mammals, so they can breathe outside of water but they have to be kept wet to be healthy basically right. okay so cool. i think i think it's not ideal to keep them out of the water but that's a way of ensuring that their health doesn't deteriorate too quickly is to just make sure that they're constantly wet okay fine
0: well they they're doing that anyway in the in the car wash and like two old blokes just walk into frame while they're doing it and they just <laughs> both go nice whale thanks and then they walk <laughs> off and that was it and that was a really nice little bit of comedy that i that actually got a genuine little little titter out of me
1: yeah i I got one laugh in this movie and it was mainly to do with michael madsen's lackluster performance but basically (laughs) after he finds out that jesse has stolen his truck he just says this one line and each half of this line he says in the exact same intonation and it just made me laugh he's just like what the heck are you doing with my truck? And this whale? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I> know, yeah. <laughs> I don't
0: know.
1: So it just, it honestly made me laugh out loud because it was just like, it was like something out of, I don't know, like Arrested Development or something. Yeah, just... I can imagine, I can
0: imagine Michael Madsen reading that part of the script and just going, really? Yeah. Like, really, I'm doing this now? <laughs>
1: Yeah. That's like his facial expression throughout this entire movie, basically. <laughs> oh, no, not another scene that I'm in, for God's sake. Well, I think we are rapidly beginning to encroach on the territory of bad stuff, so why don't we actually just go there? Why don't we talk about the things we enjoyed a little bit less in this movie? Okay. You like Wales? I like him. Well, he doesn't like anybody, so you be careful around him. See, well, is a case. It's a very special case. So... Sure. Uh, so, bad stuff. Talk to me about Michael Madsen. Okay, so first on on my list is Michael Madsen. Really, really weird casting choice. Very, very strange. I love Michael Madsen. I think he's a great actor. I think he's a great... Well, actually, let me rephrase that. He's a great character actor. Yeah. Michael Madsen is really good at playing apathetic, sardonic, and passive characters. Yeah. In movies like Kill Bill, where he plays Bud. In Reservoir Dogs, where he plays Mr. Blonde. These are typically really violent and really... Um, psychotic characters and so there's a juxtaposition between his apathy and you know his attitude with the acts of violence that he commits yeah it makes him feel sinister it makes him feel menacing in an interview with vice news they described him in this article as being known for playing charming careless terrifying bastards right <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> yep. so needless to say he is very out of place in this movie because he is literally just bud from kill bill or mr blonde from west of Our dogs but he's just been transplanted into this family friendly <laughs> animal movie and it makes no sense and like i said it's a shame because at the start of the movie it would make sense for his character to begin like that You know, he's kind of indifferent to this kid and he doesn't know how to communicate love or affection. And they sort of, like I alluded to earlier, they start establishing some kind of bond between them, but when the narrative of the whale takes over it kind of gets dropped and there's no more development. So what happens is Glenn starts off as an asshole, and then he's just an asshole throughout the rest of the movie, and because of Michael Madsen's like acting style, which like I said is very passive and kind of like, don't really give a shit, he just seems really disinterested all the way through, and so this ending that you mentioned, this beautiful thematic callback that you picked up on it doesn't have any emotional resonance because michael madsen's performance does not alter from minute one until the end of the movie the mm. actions that he takes and the lines of dialogue that he speaks change but the way they're delivered and the way they're performed don't it is almost like embarrassingly the same yeah like it doesn't it,
0: it, the way those lines are delivered does not differ at all from the moment we meet him to the moment he leaves us yeah like you've almost got to give him credit for that like it's almost
1: impressive how the, how much the same the delivery is but how different the actual words are yeah and the scenarios he finds himself in like i alluded to earlier his whole state throughout this movie is mild disinterest and, like, yeah, exactly. and it doesn't matter that he's watching this killer whale that he's spent the past half hour sneaking through a forest, like <laughs> leaping over his foster child to swim to freedom. <laughs> he barely blinks when he sees that. So, yeah, I think that Michael Madsen is a bizarre casting choice. His performance is super lacklustre, and he doesn't do himself justice in this movie. And that you could have cast a million other stock 90s dads in this role, and they would have been way better than him.
0: Okay, well, uh, let's let's do the casting game then. Who is your Glenn, if not Michael
1: Madsen? That's a really good question. I'm not actually sure who I would cast in this movie. It needs to be someone who is able to start off as quite gruff but softens towards the end. I got it, Val Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. No, not Val Kilmer. No, not Val Kilmer. I, I always get him mixed up. I always get Val Kilmer mixed up because they both played Batman. Who was the other fucking Batman? Adam West. No, not Adam West. <laughs> hang, on, hang, on, hang on, I would, I would watch that movie. Michael Keaton. That's who I would cast. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what about you?
0: Uh, oh, That's a good question. Oh, I'll give you a curveball one. How about
1: Kurt Russell? Ooh, good choice good choice because then he could go into like action mode when they're free yeah. the whale as well yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. okay yeah no I, I think you've got me beat there I think Kurt Russell is the optimum choice I think the main reason I went for Michael Keaton is because he plays a somewhat similar archetype in Jack Frost if I remember correctly oh, he's the dad in Jack Frost he's like the distant rock star dad who slowly gains affection for his son by becoming a snowman I guess <laughs> but um... <laughs> hey, each to their own everyone has their methods yeah absolutely I'm gonna put this to you though, as a little counterpoint to your criticism
0: of Michael Madsen, because you're saying that he's a character actor, he plays very similar types um, in the movies that he's in, and I would wholeheartedly agree. But how about this? How about Free Willy is actually part of the Michael Madsen cinematic universe? Oh, yes. And it's the same guy in all of those other narratives. And this is just him in retirement. Yeah. That's why he's so passive, because he's seen it all. All he wants to do is run his garage. Yeah. (laughs) He can't have kids because... I don't know, like his lifestyle has not allowed him to take that step, but now's the time. Yeah. This movie is the ending of the Michael Madsen saga.
1: He is Mr. Blonde in this movie as well. He's just by another name. I like that. This is Mr. Blonde in Witness Protection. And you actually see a little bit of Mr. Blonde come out. Because obviously Mr. Blonde, if someone's trying to stop him from stealing a fucking whale, he'll just shoot him in the face. <laughs> but obviously he can't do that because he's in Witness Protection. But we do see a little bit of Mr. Blonde come out. There's a flash. There is a flash. When the uh, big corporate bigwigs are trying to stop them from stealing uh, the whale they literally stand in front of a gate that they need to get through to get to the ocean and basically you think what's he going to do is michael madsen going to you know slow down get out negotiate with these men to let them take the whale but no he just absolutely flaws it and just like catapults in their direction so they have to dive out of the way of his truck um would he have cared if any of them died i don't think so no absolutely not because he's a stone cold killer Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, okay, no, I like that. That's now our headcanon. Cool. But yeah, I'm just going to pass the baton to you now, Ollie. What are some of the things that you had on your list? Um, well, shall we
0: address the orca in the room, as it were, and talk about killer whales in captivity and how that sort of affects the viewing of this movie quite substantially?
1: Yes, absolutely. And that was one thing I went into this movie with. I actually wrote before I watched the movie, I wrote down, I wonder what viewing this movie in a post-Blackfish movie context will be like hold on so do you want to just quickly explain what blackfish is so blackfish for those who are unaware is a 2013 documentary directed by gabriella copperthwaite yeah that's right and it basically follows this whale called tilikum which is an orca held by SeaWorld, and the controversy over captive killer whales so it basically is sort of a panorama style investigation into the ethics of keeping killer whales captive and that documentary caused a huge splash when it was released it really (laughs) sorry i didn't even i didn't even i didn't even mean to do that let me rephrase that <laughs> so <sure. laughs> we're never gonna get through this episode. We're never gonna. We're never gonna get I'm sorry. through this episode.
0: I'm sorry because it's the juxtaposition of that terrible pun, that unintentional, obviously, but that terrible pun with the hard hitting expository drama in that documentary. Yeah, yeah. Because it is one of the most emotionally charged, moving, harrowing documentaries I've literally ever seen. Yeah. And I just pictured that being on the poster for the film. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs>
1: Really makes a big splash. Yeah, anyway, sorry, carry on. No, yeah. So this movie had a massive impact and basically really influenced public opinion on institutions such as SeaWorld and how they treat their captive animals. It actually led to some legislation being passed in the
0: States about killer whale capture. Yeah. They made it illegal to capture killer whales in the wild. I think SeaWorld still get away with it because they can breed them in captivity, but they're not allowed to bring any new new animals in from the wild. Yeah, there was loads of protests about SeaWorld as well as a follow up from that documentary.
1: Yeah, which is um, which really shows you what effective filmmaking can do. Yeah, hundred percent. And to be fair, strangely enough, something similar happened after the release of this movie, which we'll get into. Yeah. But basically, it's impossible to watch this movie in the modern day and not think about the issues that that were raised by Blackfish. And fundamentally, what it comes down to, narratively, is a contradiction in moral message in regards to the captivity of whales. So the whole moral behind this film is that keeping whales in captivity is bad. It's bad for their physical and mental health. And ideally, they should be freed from captivity. It's fundamentally immoral to keep them in captivity. However, in order for the movie to communicate this message, they need to make use of a whale that is in captivity. And that is a glaring ethical contradiction. And so I actually did a little bit of reading about the whale who plays Willy. Yeah. Tyco or something, is it? Keiko. Keiko, that's right. Yeah, Keiko is the name of the whale. So basically the aquatic star of the film was an orca named Keiko and the success of the film inspired a letter writing campaign to get Keiko released from his captivity as an attraction in the amusement park Reino Aventura in Mexico City. So that's the amusement park where they sourced the whale from and not only sourced the whale from but shot a lot of the footage at. Wow, they actually, so that wasn't it,
0: so that, that was actually a legitimate park because that is a shithole of a park where that
1: whale is. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of irony in terms of the way they refer to the park that Willie is kept in within the narrative of the movie and the conditions that Keiko actually lived in but the tragedy of this whale is that okay basically they released free Willie and there was a massive campaign after that to free Keiko and Warner Brothers basically took it upon themselves after this huge influx of you know sentiment they took it upon themselves to contribute to the whale's rehabilitation and to try and free it back into the wild Mm -hmm. so that he was moved to the Oregon Coast aquarium in Oregon so he had a larger enclosure and then in 2002 he was released from a sea pen to a wild pod of orcas in Norway however basically the whale kept returning to humans for food and for company and he had a complete inability to integrate with a pod of orcas because he'd been in captivity for so long so he ended up dying of pneumonia barely a year after his release so it's really hard to divorce your viewing of this movie from the uh, fate of the whale who was the actual star of the movie and it makes these contradictions arise again and again and again throughout the movie's viewing because you can't help but draw parallels between the actual whale and the character of Willy.
0: Yeah, and the and the, the suffering that those animals experience at the hands of these sea worlds and, you know, sea life reserves and whatever, um, preserves even it's really, really upsetting because I used to teach Blackfish as a documentary a number of years ago now, but some of the statistics about animal those animals in captivity is just shocking. Like I think the average lifespan of a domesticated orca is about mm. 30 years, where I think they can live up to 80 to 90 years in the wild. So it literally halves their lifespan. Yeah. You know, orcas are meant to swim 100 miles a day in the wild, mm. and they're in basically a swimming pool in Florida or whatever. It's, it's actually really disgusting. And that yeah, was yeah. just... In the back of my mind, it wasn't in the back of my mind. It was in the forefront of my mind from the moment this film started. It opens on those lovely shots of those wild orcas. And from that point onwards, Mm -hmm. I was like, this is going to be really, really tricky. I'm not going to be able to relate to the wonder of the... Whale doing all of the tricks in the pool because I know that's a whale in captivity and it's horrible. Yeah. It's basically monetizing the suffering of a real life animal for the narrative of a film.
1: For sentimentality. Yeah. It was really hard for me to get over, to be honest. Yeah. Me too. Like at one point, Ray who is the female handler, Ray criticises the manager of the park, who's called Dial. She says, Dial thinks he can treat a wild animal like a commodity, which is exactly what the movie's movie is doing. There is such a level of incongruity between the film's moral message and how they communicate that message. And it's like... How much of a fucking middle finger is it to the actual
0: whale? Yeah. We're making a movie about your release, but nah, you're staying right where you are. <laughs> yeah. And
1: when we do eventually release you, you're gonna die within a year. Yeah, exactly. Can you literally imagine the irony of having a movie called Free Willy about freeing an orca whale from captivity and then the actual fucking whale that played the whale couldn't survive yeah. when you freed it from captivity? Yeah. yeah. Like, it was literally impossible to free Willy. Yeah. You know? It's just insane. So, yeah. Yeah, that was, um, for me, the central issue that I had with the movie. And I found it really difficult to overcome. It made suspending my disbelief and buying into the narrative very challenging.
0: Yeah. And it also makes you look at the characters that you're meant to align with in a different light. Mm. You can sort of forgive Jesse as a character because he's a kid. But then, like, what's the Native American guy called? Randolph. Randolph. Like, even he, like, who has this sort of spiritual connection with the whales, it it sort Mm. of suggested... You even look on him, he's like, he was helping them like lock him into that little pool while they were doing the medical tests on him. And it was just sort yeah. of like, if you really are as attached to these animals as you say you are, then... You wouldn't be doing this job. yeah. And like, this is quite interesting because all the way through this, I was I was thinking, bloody hell, why are they letting a kid of 11 years old so close to this very dangerous animal and just apparently can just recruit him into their ranks and now yeah. he's their star trainer of their star attraction in the pool? I was like, <laughs> what sort of recruitment policy does this park have? But then at, in reality, it's the exact same in SeaWorld. Like, none of the SeaWorld trainers, this all comes from that documentary Blackfish that I urge everyone to go and watch, but they all say that they had zero training Training when they were put into the pool with the killer whale, mm. so actually at the start of this movie, I was like, "Oh my god, this is so absurd!" As if they'd let a kid do it, but in reality, SeaWorld
1: literally does that just yeah. just boots untrained people into a swimming pool with a killer whale. Yeah, it's absolute madness. It's a crazy industry when you actually think about it. And you mentioned Randolph, and I actually want to touch on his character because I was torn on how to feel about his character. Yeah, me too. Because he was a Native American character, and as soon as he came on screen, I was like, I really hope they don't ham this character up to be some kind of spiritual mystic archetype Mm. and they kind of do but (laughs) then they don't really Overdo it. Just for context, apparently I was doing a little bit of research after watching the movie, and apparently the orca is a really important mythological symbol to Native American tribes of the Northwest Coast. It's seen as a symbol of strength and power, as well as good fortune and health. It's known as a medicine animal. Mm -hmm. That's referenced on occasion in Randolph's dialogue, where he's sort of wondering why Jesse has such a strong connection to this whale, and he's like, "What is it? Is it high blood, medicine roots?" And then you know, and and Jesse's like, "What?" And he's like, "Oh, nothing, old Indian stuff." And I was like. Like, at that point, I was like, oh, please don't go there. Please don't go there, movie. (laughs) Like, I really don't want you to engage in this, like, cliched native mysticism stereotype. Yeah. So I think, I don't know, I don't have the perspective to really say how they handled that. I'm not a Native American, you know? Mm. And it's highly unlikely that any people with Native American roots listening to this podcast but if you are please do get in touch and let us know what your thoughts on that piece of representation were because I thought uh, there's a motif that the movie calls back to isn't there there's like a Native American prayer that Randolph teaches Jesse yeah and then at the end of the movie when Jesse's trying to convince uh, Willie to jump over the wall to freedom he starts you know whispering this Native American prayer
0: yeah it's almost like... like they're chanting a spell of some kind it's all a little bit abstract wasn't it at the end
1: yeah And it does sort of edge towards that stereotype of like the native mystic, you know, shaman kind of thing, which has all sorts of problems attached to it. But, you know, the actor playing Randolph was um, someone who's very active in the Native American community. You know, he's part Mohawk. And yes, it's not a completely incongruous link. These creatures do have significance to certain tribes within native culture. Mm. So, it was a mixed bag for me, but it's just something that I wanted to acknowledge. It's it's very borderline, isn't it? It's very, very borderline. It's very borderline, and I think this movie came out in an era where those sorts of tropes were much more readily exploited. Yeah, for sure. But um, other than that, that's just about everything on my list. Did you have anything else you wanted to touch on? No, I think that's that's uh, all I've got. Okay, so shall we take a quick break and move on to discuss the changes we'd like to make to this movie? Yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do it. Come on, Willie. I know you can do it, boy. I know you can jump this wall! Come on! I in you,
0: you, can do it! You can be free! Come on! You can it! Um, so changes.
1: Talk me through the changes you would make to this film. Um, so I sort of alluded to them a bit earlier but I think I would have liked to have seen more focus on Jesse and Glenn's relationship Mm -hmm. so like I said at the beginning of their relationship there was a lot of potential to do something interesting with it you know the establishing of mutual respect and boundaries through rules and I was genuinely anxious when Jesse first broke the, the trust that they had established you know when he sneaks out of the house Glenn says to him specifically don't go out after seven and then a couple of scenes later he's breaking he's sneaking out of the house to go and visit the whale and that made me feel anxious because I had actually, and I realized I'd actually invested something into their relationship. You know, there was an emotional investment there. Mm -hmm. But as the movie goes on, the relationship takes a back seat and everything about it feels like inconsequential. So what I would have probably done is I'd have changed the central animal from a killer whale, which would also, you know, sidestep the ethical quandaries of using killer whales in your movie. I would have changed the animal from an orca to something more ethical, which could also incorporate Jesse and Glenn's relationship a bit more. So maybe have jesse work at a dog rescue shelter okay you know cleaning kennels that he's vandalized and then he befriends a dog and convinces his foster father to adopt him to prevent the dog from being euthanized mm-hmm. and uh, jesse and glenn's relationship is then explored through their shared love of this animal mm-hmm. or something like that and then you know you could have a similar sort of like a similar thing to beethoven where maybe the dog gets nicked and and of so, someone wants to sell it or someone wants to kill it or something like that and it's a similar kind of like race to the finish ending but those are the main changes I would make I would reframe the movie to focus more on the foster relationship and I would change the central animal in a way that would facilitate that
0: yeah I think you're giving yourself a bit of an easy pass saying you'd change the animal because I think that the whole the whole selling point of this film is obviously the fact that it's a giant orca whale yeah I think there is a way of sidestepping that without changing the animal the animatronics in this film are so good you don't actually need a real whale to do any of the shots that they needed so I think they could have done the whole thing with an animatronic whale if they needed to. For one, so you could have the same. You could have the same film by all accounts, and just have an animatronic whale. Don't even get involved with a real life captive whale because of all the issues we've previously discussed. I think the main problem with that narrative is that it takes place in a. I don't know what do you call them sea parks.
1: Uh, yeah, it's like a. It's like a sea park.
0: Yeah. So what I would do is I would. I would have it that Jesse. Let's 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 construct Jesse as you know he's a misguided sort of troubled youth but he has quite a strong moral compass when it comes to things like animal treatment and whatever maybe based on his own experiences as being treated badly by adults mm. so he has like this affinity with animals to begin with maybe he joins a foster family maybe glenn works at one of these parks yes. right yeah and uh he joins him and, and jesse's like no i disagree wholeheartedly with that like i can't you know I can't abide the fact that you go and work in this park. But then it turns out that Glenn is actually uh, an animal rights activist working on the inside of these parks to actually free killer whales, to sabotage it from the inside. Mm. So you could do it almost like an espionage type thing where Jesse becomes involved in that and the whole film is him trying to free the whale, Mm. not him befriending the whale and then just as a matter of consequence decides to free it. Like the whole drive of the movie is getting the whale out of the fucking swimming pool. Yeah. Because that's what it should be really. So you either do it that way or you do it the other way where Jesse and Glenn are trying to sabotage people who capture the whales from the wild. Mm. So then you've actually got you know, a clearer, more distinct villain. Because, you know, the people who catch the whales at the start with those nets, they need addressing. Like, they're not addressed hardly at all in this film. And I think it would be a in- more interesting dynamic to have our protagonist trying to take down these uh, smugglers, effectively, of yeah. these beautiful animals. So I think you can keep the whale as the driving force behind the narrative, but just change it up slightly so you don't
1: actually have to use a whale mm. in captivity centralize it around something completely different you could even combine glenn's character with randolph's character yeah exactly yeah you know maybe just like have glenn or randolph whoever be this foster parent who happens to also live on site at this sea park you know Mm. i think i really agree with that restructuring of the movie i think you're right i did take the easy way out and was (laughs) like i just don't use whales but i think you're right i think it could have been achieved with animatronics um i mean it wouldn't be it wouldn't be easy no, but that it wouldn't be easy, but 20 million quid would get you there, wouldn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, I reckon so. I reckon so. Depends on how much Kurt Russell is, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. God, it should have been Kurt Russell, shouldn't it? It should have been. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, I think we've just about done it. There's just one final question left to ask you, Ollie. Do you think you need rose-tinted specs to appreciate this movie, or do you think it holds up to modern scrutiny? Um, You definitely need rose-tinted specs, purely for the
0: reason that society has moved on leaps and bounds in regards to captive orcas. Mm. Um, I think with that knowledge that I've got from watching blackfish and just from general experiences with captive animals i think that you can't divorce yourself from that modern that modern sentiment mm. so i think you really do need your 1990s glasses on to get through this film without feeling really upset actually yeah i was really emotional in this film but not because of the torrent of bullshit sentimentality in the in the dialogue
1: but just because i knew that there's a captive whale being filmed here Mm. and it's really really sad yeah yeah i think i would agree with you i'm gonna i'm gonna try and look at it from two separate perspectives though i reckon if you are aware of what these animals go through and you've seen blackfish and you just generally have an awareness that it you know, even if you haven't seen that movie, that this is not a good thing to do to animals, then yes, you absolutely need Rose Tinted Specs to still appreciate this movie. However, looking at it purely from the perspective of its narrative construction, let's say you're a 10-year-old kid, you've never seen Blackfish, you've got absolutely zero knowledge of any of these issues, could you still appreciate this narrative on an emotional level? I think you probably could. Probably. Yeah, I think you probably could. I think the narrative itself and the relationship between the characters does still hold up but i'm gonna you have to go one way or the other and because i i'm not coming at this without the knowledge that we've been talking about i'm gonna say yes you do need you do need rose-tinted specs to appreciate this absolutely mm-hmm. but i just wanted to add that little caveat purely from a narrative perspective it would probably still hold up without those issues. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that just about does it. As always, I need to give thanks to Dilettante for letting us use their song My Dress as our theme tune. You can follow them online at Dilettante Songs. You can follow us online at Rose Tinted Movies. We are currently only on Instagram. And I just realized the other day that we've released however many episodes and we've not once plugged our social media, which is such (laughs) pop form. But yeah, so... (laughs) Hey, you've got to start somewhere, dude. Come on, we're good. We're ten, what?
0: We're like what? Thirty recordings in now. Yeah, We've got yeah, this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you can find us at Rose Tinted Movies. But in the meantime, I have been Paddy, and I've been Ollie, and we have been Rose Tinted. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you all next time.